0: This is the Pancast Radio Podcast. I'm joined today by our special guest, Colleen Jennings-Rogantzok, a dear friend and mentor. Colleen is the ASU Vice President for Cultural Affairs and Executive Director of ASU GAMage. Colleen, thank you for being here with us.
1: Hello, Ethan. It's so good to see you.
0: You as well. How is it out in Arizona?
1: Well, it's hot, of course. Very, very hot. But it is... um... It's an interesting time, and I think it's an interesting time for all of us. I'm trying to figure out how to, okay, maybe, is that better or am I now sideways? Yeah,
0: I'll, I'll adjust.
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting time as it is for the rest of the world here. We're just doing some partial reopenings, so salons and some other things are openings. At the same time, people are still sheltering in place. We are uh, hard at work, both in, I am hard at work, both in New York and here in terms of live arts and culture on the stage. I'm working with the Broadway League as I am on the Board of Governors to help reopen Broadway and get the road flowing again.
0: What sort of steps do we need for that to happen?
1: Well, I'll tell you, One of there are a couple of very important things. One of the whole issues of social distancing doesn't work for theater. It doesn't work on Broadway, it doesn't work on the road. As you know, we have 3,000 seats, so we're a pretty big house. But in order to have a Broadway show back in on the stage, we really need to be able to sell the tickets and have people come in. So part of that is really talking to your legislators about social distancing. Really, it's not only on the city level, but the state level, because every state will make that decision. It's not a federal decision, but also contacting your federal legislators certainly would not hurt at all. We're also looking at efforts of, getting tax credits to have the shows remounted so that they can come onto the road. Once everything shut down, you know, there was no revenue sources coming in. So there's some tax legislation that are going to the federal level to help and support Broadway and the road. So those kinds of things. And if you follow us on the Broadway League website, you can see all of that information. Also, there's a number of different kinds of uh, newsletters like Broadway Briefing, which follows pretty closely a lot of that information.
0: And so how do we um, gain the trust back from the public,
1: though? Well, that's a very good question, Ethan, and that's something else we're working on. For us at ASU Gammage, and I myself, I've been conducting a series of town halls, and I've had two so far. And as you know, we have upwards of 22,000 subscribers, so we've invited them to come and give us information and feedback. I've had a third open um, evening with our Gammage Golden Gamage investors. And these are individuals who invest in the theater. And we had an evening social hour, you know, which is now you can Zoom social hours everywhere. And we've just been talking about what will it take. And there are people who immediately, we have 14,000 subscriptions sold for next year alone. And there are people who are just ready to come back. They say, we'll wear a mask, we will you know, wear gloves, we'll do whatever and we'll come back. Then there are some whose uh, immune systems are compromised, who are of a certain age who said, not only will we not come back, we may never come back. I just wrote a letter to subscribers who have been our subscribers for over 30 years and they just said, we're, we're elderly, our health isn't good, we love damage we love everything that you've done, we wish you the best, we just won't be able to join you anymore. So, so you know, there's going to be that give and take. It's the same thing as mega sports and mega churches and live theater. We are all in kind of that same area of looking at social gathering and where it will take us. Arizona State University is hard at work, as are many labs across the country working on vaccines, working on um, stop gaps, just busy working in that milieu and working with data to say, hey, now we can have, we in fact, as you know, Arizona State University, we're gonna have in-person education in the fall. So we'll be welcoming the class back. I'm sitting on a number of task force at the university that deal with what are gonna be our sanitation protocols, what will the situation be like for students in classes, Will some of the classes be remote learning, even though students are on campus, or will it be a mixture of, you know, smaller classes, in-person learning, larger classes, remote, or what we are now calling Zoom rooms, where some of the students will be in the room and some of the students will be online and then there'll be a flipping back and forth. So we're exploring all of those things. And I think one of the things that everyone has to remember is that we are in a fluid situation. So what I am telling you right this minute, right at this time, tomorrow will be different. Heck, by tonight, it could be different. Right. So I think for the whole world, operating in both ambiguity and fluidity is, is the, the, really the point in uh, life where we are. And we're looking at everything through three lenses, a lens of the moment, a lens of the near future and a lens that's post-pandemic and a lens that's a second wave.
0: So that's uh, going back just a bit. um, You were talking about the elderly people who had compromised immune systems said that they may never come back. I mean, how is that changing the demographics that are going to the theater? And how are we changing as an ecosystem to support that?
1: Really good question, Ethan. Uh, One of the things that's interesting, and we have a large subscription base, and most people would assume an older demographic for the subscription base. For us, it's about 36%, which is still a big chunk, but it's not 50 or 60. So so we know that age demographic, which skews older, is about 36%. But of that 36%, many of them are like, I'm ready to come back. As you know from being at Gamage, our our house staff, our volunteer ushers, um, tend to be retired and an older demographic. And about two-thirds of them are like, we're ready. Tell us what we need to do. We'll come back right away. And a third are like, no, we're going to wait and see. Our responsibility is to make sure that people are safe, that it is a smart and reasonable move. Because we want theater goers for life. So we don't need to lose any of them. And so as we look month by month, we make decisions and we make calls.
0: Very cool. Uh, and then so working with that sort of those three lenses of we're being very fluid at the moment, um, that's almost how, I mean, I've always seen the theater to operate in that lens anyway. Yes. So how, I mean, have the arts been more resilient to this because i'm seeing a lot of screens and
1: there's so many different things that are going on last week i was talking with taylor mack and he and i are going to do a one on one like this and and we're taylor's done a wonderful thing with trickle up his organization which helps support artists artists supporting artists and he's going to talk about the artist and the state of where things are for artists and i was going to talk about the presenters and where things are for the presenters And Terrell and I had that conversation because there are artists who are working like we are and doing collaborative work this way. Diane Paulus has been working on 1776 in in a Zoom room. There are other artists who are trying to figure it out, who are saying, you know, it's not my medium to work this way, so I'm not sure this is going to happen. There are playwrights who are writing one-person, two-person shows. There are lots of artists working to try and uh, explore this angst that we're living through in this pandemic period and then imagining what will be the post-pandemic period. Clearly, we are working, in fact, our summer school program at ASU, which is remote learning, we are going to work with two rock groups. One is Iconopop, which is a, uh, two, two female Swedish uh, music and they've opened for Katy Perry, and they've opened for Miley Cyrus, and the other is um, Jason Deseroux, who is more of an urban heart, a little bit more urban core kind of music, and we're going to do it live, and it's going to only be the students who are in summer school who get an entree into it it will be done in zoom and it will be done in their studios so they each have respective studios and that's where the work will be done but there's there will also be q a there also will be this opportunity to break into groups and do a number of discussions and things and that's just kind of the start of it if people have an opportunity and they go to asugamage.com and go to our digital content there's a whole series of things that are there Some some are live arts. So we have uh, Daniel Bernard Romaine, who worked with six young uh, ASU students who are in in various genres of film, dance, music, theater. And they were to have performed with National Sawdust at the National Sawdust in, in Brooklyn. And then together we said, well, let's do it as a live feed. And it was tremendous. We had like thousands of people viewing. It worked really well. Then what we do is we kind of take that, we keep it on on film, and then people can go back and review it. I had a great interview with Gustav Farwell, who was a quarterback in the famed Rose Bowl game that ASU had an undefeated season, except for that game. And he was the backup quarterback. He has since become an opera singer. And you probably know him if you are, an Instagram, Facebook follower. He lives in Barcelona and he sings at night as as the first responders and the medical teams go to, to the hospital. He has sung every single night for 77 days wow. and, he, and he does it every other time. So we did an interview with Gustav. Not only was it a huge success and lots of folks, we had people writing saying, you must bring him here and we're going to give you a donation to bring wow. him on uh, May 23rd. We're doing a a closed session with Fuel Theater out of London, and they're doing a piece called uh, Love Letters, Insta Love Letters, oh, I have to remember the name. But uh, it will be from London to us, and we will invite a series of people, only 45. It will not be filmed, so it will be live instant theater to see. So we're playing with a lot of those platforms. And while our ultimate goal is live in-person theater, we're probably gonna keep a lot of these digital platforms because it opens up worlds to a lot of worlds that that we're not privy to, but it also keeps our audience, our students, our faculty, our local artists engaged. We actually have a, a program, teaching artists program, where we are paying our local artists to do various workshops. So in being able to support them through this time. That's awesome.
0: And then, so a question about, you know, you talked about saving videos for future viewing. Um, If we do this, are we afraid that people might not want to go to the theater to see that one?
1: you choked me up there. No, 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 I I believe we are at our heart and heart. And when you talked about, you know, when will the community feel safe to come back? The number one overwhelming response we've received through surveys and, and conversations like this is we want to be together. We want to be together in the theater. We want to take that journey together. We want to do it in person. These other things are options and it keeps everyone connected. But uh, no, I am not afraid at all. The people are hungry for this work. And we've had, you know, some other folks that we've done interviews with, Casey Likes, who, ASU, uh, one of our high school musical students who went to the Jimmys, made the finalists, and then starred in It's Almost Famous at the La Jolla Playhouse. And it's, I mean, excuse me, at the Old Globe. It was just awesome. And we did an interview with them. And it was a very large, very young audience that came in and said, we can't wait for, A, that show, which is Broadway bound this fall, for that show to happen and for us to see Casey. We did the same thing with Sam Premack, who was who was touring at the time of the close down in Dear Evan Hansen, playing all three roles, all three male roles in that show, the young people's roles. And he, again, it was one of high viewing. People want to know, and then they want to know when they can come and see them live. So I am not afraid that this will replace it, even more so I think it's going to bring us a more diverse audience because the great thing about this interview that you and I are doing is it's open to anyone. And for us to realize how we can continue to support people's love for art and culture and how we also can take that love and translate it to coming back to the theater where we need you.
0: And then so we're talking about diversity um, in terms of audience, but also what about emerging artists, and emerging voices in this new you know, post-COVID? I mean, yes. Where do we fit in? Um, well,
1: and I'll tell you what's really interesting is yesterday I did a Zoom interview with Positively Powerful Women, and it's an organization of positively powerful women across the country. And some of the folks who came in, there was a, a young a young playwright who has his own theater and, and we were doing a QA and he said I have a question and I said what's the question and he said where do young voices do you take do you take work new work new voices and specifically do you deal with people of color in that and I said not only do we do that we are working right now with Lemon Anderson and creating a new work. And and we co-commissioned one piece already with the public theater, but we're gonna commission another one. And Lemon shot a film about one of our students as the first part of his three years with us, but he's going to do two more pieces. Last year when, or it's not even last year, it was a few months ago when I was in New York, I got to see the Cambodian rock band at the (laughs) theater. Oh my gosh, it was so amazing. I loved it on a Zoom kind of a thing that they were doing. I said, you know, I loved it. This is who I am. This is what I do. Their producers called me and said, we want to take this work out. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. And not only am I interested, I'm going to connect you to a route that will work. And so I gave them names and addresses of our major university presenters, of some other colleagues of mine across the country, which they didn't have. And, And they began then to build the route. And we are still fingers crossed committed and hoping that this works and it will be uh, in the winter um, January uh, February is the tour route that it planned so we're really truly looking forward to that and that was just you know one of those um, I also like the work of uh, we're gonna die I just oh, yes. the second stages it was another piece that I wrote them and said are you guys thinking about taking this out is it of interest because I I. Not only am I interested, I could help you kind of build a touring route like that. So there's a lot of those uh, pieces that are out there that I, I believe, you know, I see a lot of theater. We sometimes go to theater together and the, these pieces come up and now people are beginning to see snippets of them. There's a young choreographer that I just saw on on one of these kinds of programs. And I wrote her and said, your work is really good. It's really strong. You have something to say. I just want you to know that. So I think that this opens the door for a lot of things. And as we talk about Broadway and the road, it's gonna take six weeks for a big show to get up again before it can go onto the road. And so there's going to be a lot of uh, fits and starts and some work will work and some work won't work. But, um, so I, I actually think it opens a lot of doors.
0: That's really exciting to hear. Um, so when we think about like opening up those tours for a six-week, um, does that? Affect, how does that affect the
1: touring schedule? Well, ugh, you have all these great questions. That's one of the things where we are calling it a jigsaw puzzle. So all the booking agents are are trying to figure out. You know, perfect tours. There's East Coast tours. There's tours in the middle of the country. There's West Coast tours, of which we're a part of. And then we do the links, and we jump one set from one place to another. Well, now it's it will depend upon what state is open. So, for instance, if we are open, which I believe we will be, but California is not. The question is: Is Colorado open? Is Texas open? Can we make a jump? from Iowa or a jump from Oklahoma makes sense. So it really is a much harder, harder thing for the booking agents to do. And what's really critical and important is all of us who are running theaters to continue to feed our information as we are members of the Broadway League to say, hey, today my governor decided that you could get a haircut and you could go to a restaurant. So that's a start. And so that information gets fed, but it will be, much more difficult task. The other thing that really will make great sense for the road in particular are having large sit downs. So shows that have the ability to be with us a longer length of time, the Hamiltons, the Frozens, the Lion Kings, the Wicked, because you bring in a cast and we have to be concerned about actors and their health and that they are well And that we have them staying in in a, a safe place. And then they come and they're there for a long time, which is different from doing the week and then making a jump and the week and then making a jump. Also, all of the costumes and sets and things that are coming on the trucks need to be sanitized. They need to put ultraviolet lights in the trucks. And we need to have like you unload the truck and then you don't have to load it up again until six weeks has passed, or eight weeks, or however long the sit-down is.
0: Oh, yeah, and I know, speaking of touring, you mm-hmm. always want to have a play in your season. I do. Where, I do. Is there a place for plays on this touring? There's, or is it just yes,
1: to yes, yes, there is. And in fact, this current touring season, I mean, we are lucky, and I wish there were, like, I wish there was a whole separate touring season of just plays and a separate touring season of musicals. But until that time, I always push for a play. And this season to kill a mockingbird will be the touring play that will happen. And it it is strong and powerful and relevant to today. And you may know, or may have even been there when Scott Rudin had a whole group of New York high school students at Madison square garden filled to capacity, this play was being done, and you could hear a pin drop, that it was this extraordinary, breathtaking moment, which says to me, people want to hear words. People love singing and dancing, but people want to also hear things on the stage that don't involve music, that only involve what's being said and the kernel of the story that's there. I think this will be an excellent time, an excellent time for plays. And, you know, we've had a commitment to work that it's also uh, stretching the genre of what theater is. Larissa Fasthorse, the first Native American woman to have a play off Broadway, which was Thanksgiving Day, did Native Nation with us. And it was a two and a half year process. And we worked with 22 of uh, all of the first sovereign nations here in Arizona. We did the piece first at the, the, um, Gila, uh, no, at the Pima Maricopa Indian Reservation. And then we did the work at the Indian school, which was downtown, which is is now a museum, but in the park there. And it was extraordinary. And how she writes is both engaging and witty and uh, strong, very powerful. So I think that there will be lots of those kinds of things, especially as we begin to think about, all right, so if we don't get social distancing, I always have my ideas that reach beyond, but why not do work in a stadium? Why not have, and we have Sun Devil Stadium and we have a program, ASU 365, and we do a lot of things in there. And to have people spread all the way around, have the stage, but have the jumbo trot on. And so all of a sudden, people can be there, be engaged in a different way. And I think we're gonna have to think about those things. I think about the whole notion of drive-in. And we're looking at a drive-in screen that we would purchase and people could come in their cars, but the performance would still happen. And then you would also have it on the screen. Um, obviously one of the things, and I know that we have to think about this with, with our actors is it has to be safe for them. It has to be safe for you to be in a rehearsal space together. We also have to recognize, and that's why sit downs make a lot of sense because if one performer gets sick, gets the virus, the cast is done, you know, it's, it's over. So those kinds of things are, are thoughts and processes that we are having and how, the, how you connect to an artist and how we can have the performance, but we may not have the talk back. We can have the performance. We are probably not going to have the cast party. We can have the performance, but we won't do any stage door meet and greet because we just are now in a new world and thinking about how to do that. But we may have the talk back on your radio as you are driving back, you know, we're in the West, so everybody has cars, but on cell <laughs> phone or what have you, as you are leaving the theater, you can hear the interviews being done. So we'll be looking at different ways of doing those things. These kinds of podcasts will be great and important as we are in the pandemic and post-pandemic um, future.
0: So just one more question before you go. Why is it, why didn't the theater sort of embrace those technologies before? Cause previously i've i've only seen like uh, i guess evo van hova does the video screens, but everyone right. else i'm like they're pretty much standard plays right. or musicals
1: right i think uh, necessity is the mother of invention that's kind of my own one cliche for uh, the day, and it, this pushed us in that direction. And I think every sort of cultural change, major shifts have happened because of either a highly religious experience, a cataclysmic experience, uh, those kinds of things then force us to rethink about what we do and who we reach and how we are. And, but now that we've done it, as I tell people, even though we will go to Everybody is Healthy and Well and the theater is open again, we're still going to do these things. These Our digital platforms, our digital content is, is serving a, more, uh, a better high time, you know, so that it isn't just the one shot where you're sitting in the theater, but it's multiple times that you can become engaged. We've even found we are doing backstage tours uh, digitally, and we have a great audience for that. Like nice. people are like they really want to be want to see what backstage is about, and since you've been in the theater and I've been in the theater, we I think we sometimes take for granted that that going to see where the magic is being made, where where the creativity happens, people want to know. People absolutely want to know that, and they want to feel again high touch is much a part of the creative process of the creators of the performers that it's um. Uh, it's something that being separated, now we long to be as close together as possible.
0: Yeah. And then, i sorry, I did say one last question, but actually one last question. Okay. Uh, okay. What advice do you have for emerging artists um, looking at the three lenses of the moment, the near future, and post-COVID?
1: First of all, these kinds of things, get your work on as many digital platforms as possible. And this is a great time to contact all sorts of theaters, whether they are Lord theaters, League of Regional theaters, whether they are community theaters, whether they are university presenters, because guess what? We're all looking for content. So this is a great time to get your work, either readings or actual performances or interviews in front of folks saying, "Hey." I've got this content and I'm, and I'm available. And so I, I think that's very important while we're in the throes of this pandemic. As we get part of the way through, I think artists who are working on pieces that are performed in smaller venues and spaces, which means fewer people can be there, makes great sense. Larger pieces don't make sense because we can't financially afford to size down the house in terms of six feet and six feet. I think we did, you know, our house is 3,017 and we had our, our TDs sort of map it out If we did six feet and there'd be about 250 people in there. And if you're doing a Moulin Rouge for 250 people, we can't pay the actors. You know, we can't pay the crew. We can't pay the musicians. Um, yeah, also we can't even put the music- musicians probably in the pit. Uh, so, so I think to really think about the size and the scale and how work comes and goes, and then to continue this platform. And then when it's done, you, you've built relationships. I have your script that I'm reading now. Hey. And so, yes, yay. So I say, you know, send work, have a digital relationship, make contacts, because most of us are working remotely and we are Zooming night and day. And in fact, I actually do a lot of Zooms with artists. You know, like, what are you working on? What's happening? How do you feel about it? I did a Zoom with a young producer, Jackie Bell, or um, I, Jackie and I were texting. We we're going to do a Zoom and asking how Emoji Land was doing after it closed and, you know, what's the future of it. People want to have contact. People want to have conversations. So start them now so they build for the future.
0: Well, thank you again for coming on <laughs> and talking with us. Um,
1: thank you, Ethan. Yeah. Um, this was because- great. Be well and safe, and we will be back in the theater again.
0: Absolutely. I can't wait. Thank you. All All right. right. We'll be back in two minutes with uh, Case Open. Stay tuned.